You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. Spring training's wrapping up shortly, and we're very happy to have with us Red's beat writer from the Cincinnati Enquirer, Mr. John Fay. John, thanks for giving us some of your time on what I know has already been a hectic day for you. No problem. John, you, you, you just reported shortly, uh, a short time ago that Ryan Madsen's going to require Tommy John surgery. Tell us where do you think the Reds will go from here in terms of closer, and how do you think this will affect their plans for Aroldis Chapman? Well, you know, I think uh, Sean Marshall's the obvious candidate to, uh, to close. You know, when they signed him to the uh, extension early in spring training, they talked about him being the guy to close if, uh, if they didn't re-sign him. Um, Madsen, who was on a one-year contract. You know, with, with Chapman, I think there's a chance, a pretty good chance we'll see him go back to the bullpen. Um, you know, it's going to be a difficult thing to get him in the rotation, even though he's pitched pretty well. He's going to go ahead and make that start today. So, I, you know, I think uh, with, with Marshall moving into the closer role, as I expect, then you need another left-hander in the bullpen um, kind of in, in a set-up role. Um you know, I, I think there's, there's an argument either side on that. I think uh, you can make a pretty strong case to just continue with uh, Chapman because he has so much more value as, as, a, as a starter over a relief pitcher. But, um, you know, this team thinks they can win this year, and if, if he can help you in the bullpen, I think you got you got to go that way. Do you, do you think Francis might be an option for that, that other left-handed job in the bullpen? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think... You know, there's a chance. Uh, he's a guy that has never done that. He doesn't throw very hard. Typically, guys in the bullpen throw okay. harder. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, they hope he goes to Louisville. He's kind of the backup guy if, if something happens in the rotation. Um, he, he has some value there. He fits pretty well in spring training. I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know if he's uh, ever relieved in his life. Uh, so I, I, I don't think that's an alternative right out of out of spring training. And, and, and doesn't he have an op, something in his contract that if another big league club wanted him, he could opt out? Well, I think he can opt out. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how it works, whether the Reds have an agreement with his agent that he can, he can look at, at, at some teams. I, it, it, it comes up pretty quickly here. It comes up on March 28th. So, you know, I... I think there's a chance, I, you know, just looking around baseball, and I'm not following everybody's roster real closely, but I would think a guy who, you know, has his record and, and um, you know, has had a good spring, there, there would be a job for him. So uh, we'll, we'll see with that. But, um, you know, I, I think there, there's a slight chance that the Reds will, will redo things a little bit to maybe open a spot for the bullpen because he does give you a, a pretty good alternative. But I... I still think there's a better chance that they'll move Chapman back to the bullpen. John, with with a team as set as this one was going into spring training, do you think it was possible for somebody that you didn't expect to make this team to make this team? Um, you know, it's hard uh, because you know I, I think people tend to put too much stock in what happens in spring training. You know, if, if uh, Todd Frazier out hits. Uh, Scott Roll and doing spring training, you, you, you don't make the time <laughs> raising your guy. You know? Right, that, that's an extreme example. But um, 
you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe Dennis Tips, for instance, you know, he's, he's in his first camp, real talented guy. If he just had a, an unbelievable spring, maybe they would have looked at, you know, putting him on the roster and putting him in a left field mix a little bit. He's had a good spring, but I think, you know, teams tend to go with, with the guys that are more proven over, over the, the regular uh, season. And you also have contracts that, that affect these things. Um, you know, it, it, people can talk about it all that they want, but money drives this game. You just, you know, when guys have guaranteed contracts, you pay them no matter what, you know, Ponson uh, Arroyo, for instance, he gets that money whether he's on the red or not. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's hard to see a guy who has a guaranteed contract in a, you know, it, it, it rarely happens with a team that's that's pretty well set. I think coming into this spring training, the Reds only had one or two openings. So, you know, it, it would have been really hard. And, and then they, they didn't have a lot of young kids that were kind of in the, in the mix to challenge for positions. Yeah, Todd Frazier was really probably the only name that, that had, you know, that had options left that was really making – you know, trying to make a statement to get to get onto the ballpark, which kind of brings me to the next, or onto the ball club, which kind of brings me to the next question is, you know, how does spring performance and stats, does it have, how much of an influence or how does it influence roster decisions, do you think? Well, I, you know, I think with the established players, it doesn't influence at all. You know, Joey right. Otto's had a terrible spring. Right. You know, you can be a first baseman, obviously. In, in Todd Frazier's case, you know, he had to come in and have a good spring to make the club, and he has. I, I think it would be a, a shame if he does not make it. You know, um, he came in and, um, you know, competing, I think, with Juan Francisco for kind of that backup third baseman, you know, utility job a little bit, and he, he got played him clearly. He's hit four home runs. He, he's tied with Bruce for the lead in the, on the club with RBI. So, you know, it, 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 and he gives you a lot of versatility. So I, at this point, I'd be really surprised if, if he didn't make the club. The other thing that, you know, talking about contracts, uh, Francisco's out of options. Right. They can't just uh, send him to the, to the minor league. So I think that affects things some. But I think uh, given all that's transpired this, this spring, Francis, uh, Francisco came in, you know, overweight, hurt. They didn't think he rehabbed enough before he got here. So, you know, and, and then to get outplayed and, and not make, and Frazier not make the team over him. Uh, because he makes it would be a would be a bad time to send. So you know, I, those things all factor in here. But I think Frazier's played his way onto the onto the roster. In place of who, though, I mean, do you think they're gonna they're gonna try to move Francisco? I, I can't see him just you know de- you know designating him for assignment. Well, I, I can. I you know I I think it, it's a, it's a tough call, but um, you know if uh, if you're playing for two years down the road or you're not, you know, yeah. uh, in the rebuilding thing. If you're trying to win this year, I think it's pretty hard to to, to make the argument that, that he deserves a spot over over uh, Frazier. Now, you know, he, he's out hit Frazier in the minor league. And the right. Yes. Obviously take that in, into consideration. But, um, you know, the, the other thing Frazier gives you is he can play uh, – Left, right, first. He can play second or short in a pinch. He's, he's a better defender than, than Francisco. So, you know, I, but the other, I think Miguel Cairo's position on the team is, is set. Um, you know, they want a guy who can, can play back up shortstop. So uh, I think Wilson Valdez is probably going to win that position over uh, over Paul Yanish. And um, so that really only leaves the one position. Um, 
So, I, you know, I, I think it will come down to Francisco and Frazier. Fra- Francisco hasn't hit much in spring. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll be a tough call. When, uh, as Dusty Baker said the other day, when you got a good team, these last few roster spots are, are always tough calls. If you got a bad team, you're looking for players to fill them. Um, you know, they, they've got some good alternatives in those uh, extra spots. John, one of the big topics of the spring has been Brandon Phillips' contract. And, and Ken Brew and Paul Doherty have at least insinuated that he's not a real happy camper. Uh, there's been different kinds of things said. There was an, a Sports Illustrated, I believe it was, article last week that said that uh, that they thought the contract would be done before opening day. Walt Jockety saying something will be decided before opening day. Can you see his contract situation becoming a problem during the course of the season? I know, you know, and I, I, I think uh, unhappy is the wrong word to use to describe it. He's, you know, he's been um, pretty upbeat, and I, you know, he wants a contract done, obviously, but uh, I, I don't think he's carried that, you know, into the clubhouse. But the other thing with Brandon is he's in a tough position because if if they don't give him a contract, he's uh he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So it, it's in his best interest to have a, a good year. Um, one way or another, um, you know, if he gets the contract, he should be happy and, and try to have a good year. And if he if he doesn't, he's got to look out for his future. You know, it, it's a tough call. You know, I've, I've talked about a lot about these guys who um, are getting their second contract. When you're a small market club, it, it's it's a tough call because uh, you know the, you're you're one, you're older, um, the deals tend to be longer, and it's just. Uh, you know, I, I think Brandon wants to be here, but he doesn't want to be here at $8 million a year. You know, players often say it's not about the money, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to play for well below market value. So it's a, it's a tough call for the Reds. I think at, at the very least, you're looking at $12, $13 million a year, probably for four or five years. And, uh, you know, Brandon will be 35, 36 at the end of that contract. And, you know, the middle infielder, you know, guys tend to lose a step at, at that point. So, you know, it's it, it's a hard call. I think they want to get it done, but they want to get it done within reason. And, uh, you know, it's, it's taken this long. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I thought it early on, I thought it would get done. It hasn't. Um, I, I think now it's, you know, probably 50-50. Yeah, I, I, I think no matter what decision the Reds make on this, they're going to have people unhappy with them. Because, you know, he's a big fan favorite. He's a, he's a big, you know... Uh, city guy, he's a big Reds guy, he's out at all the events and the Twitter and all that stuff, but those of us that, that kind of try to crunch the numbers and crunch the financial numbers are saying, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30 to be investing this much money, so whichever way the team falls, there's going to be a group of people that are unhappy with him. Yeah, you know, and I, I think from from Brandon's standpoint, he, he's got to realize that he probably has more value to the Reds than he will from some other team because he's going to be the new guy coming in. You know, and he, he, he's been over backwards. He's the most cooperative uh, guy with the marketing department going on the caravan and, and that kind of thing. And, and the Reds truly appreciate that, but at the same time, they're dealing with an $80 million payroll, and, you know, they just can't say, okay, we want Brandon, we're going to pay him $16 million a year for five years. It's just to, to do that contract – just can at the end of it, it can just hurt you so badly. And I, you know, I wrote a piece for the Sunday. I think it's running in the Sunday paper where, you know, Walt Jockney basically said, yeah, if we get a hundred million dollar payroll, that deal would be done, and so would the Votto deal probably. But it's the reality. I think people have to understand that, you know, they have a 
you know, the, the payroll's going to be right around $80, $85 billion, and you just have to, you have to really think about every decision, particularly with long-term contracts. Um, you know, the Yankees can do these kind of contracts, and if they make a mistake, they go out and get another guy. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a tough decision either way. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think the Reds have made an effort, you know, Brandon's got to decide, uh, if he's going to play here for probably a little less than he would make somewhere else. Yeah, the, 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 as I, what I always put it is that for the small market teams, the margin of error is just so much smaller than, than, than the big market teams. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it just, it, it hamstrings you. You know, um, the, the, uh, the deal with Coco Cordero, you know, it was a, a decent deal. I, I, you know, I thought he performed pretty well, but it, it was, it was probably too much money for this market. Um, so, you know, even, even guys that, that do well it hurts, you know, in, in the case with Alex Gonzalez, uh, you know, he was hurt a lot. And, and when, when you spend that kind of money on a guy, I think he was making $8 million a year, it, it really hurts a, a small market team if that guy doesn't perform up to what he, he did in the past. And, uh, you know, Brandon takes good care of himself. Um, I haven't seen any kind of real drop-off defensively with him. I don't think he's quite as fast as he was on the first, the Reds' first scouting. But, you know, he had, he had his best year last year. But, he, he, you know, you wonder if he turns 31 in uh, June, I believe, and, and you wonder at 36 if he's going to be able to still do it because some guys can. Right. John, which Reds player do you think has the most pressure on him this year? I think Bronson Arroyo. I mean, uh, you know, he, can't, he had a terrible year. Uh, he's making a lot of money. He's you know, the third starter. He's a guy that's been good in the past, and I, I think he would tell you that, that, he, you know, he needs to have a good year. He, you know, he said, I think he said when he got here, if he doesn't, you know, you think he's on the other side, going down the other side of the mountain. Um, you know, um, I, I think him more than anyone else. What young player that you saw in spring training, John, that you knew had no chance of making the team impressed you the most? D.D. Gogaire. I never pronounce it Gregarious or Greggy, Gregarious. That Didi guy. Yeah, Didi. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, I think he impressed everyone more than anyone in camp. Um, I, had, I had never seen him, um, heard, you know, a little bit about him. But, for instance, when Barry Larkin was in here, you know, I talked to Barry a little bit and we talked about a few things and then he asked me, had I seen him? Uh, the kid, the defender, the, the guy that, he reminds me of most is uh, is Pokey Reese. He's just got great range. He's, he's built similarly to Pokey, but he's probably a little thicker. Unbelievable arm, you know. In his last two leagues, he's been voted the best arm in that league last year at Double A uh, Carolina, which you know is pretty high level. He's you know 22 years old. He's from uh, was born in the Netherlands. Speaks four languages. Real bright kid. Uh, you know he's, he's hit pretty well. I think uh, you know I. I, I don't know this, but I think if something would happen to Zach Cozart, that there's a chance that they would just say, hey, we're going to play this kid and, and see what happens. Uh, uh, but he's, he's, he's special defensively. Uh, you know, it's it just uh, with the range, the arm, the whole package. And, he, and uh, Mary Luck and, and Dusty Baker both talked about the kids' baseball IQs off the charts. So, you know, I think he's going to be, um, you know, in the lineup in a couple of years. And I. I think, I think that also affects what they're doing with Phillips. Mm -hmm. not, not what they're doing so much, but they realize that, you know, they had some, some backup plan at, at 
at middle infield. You know, uh, another kid that's really impressive was really impressive is Henry Rodriguez. You know, he plays second and third, and your your second best prospect in the system is a shortstop and Billy Hamilton. So you got to look at all those things when when you're you know deciding whether to, to sign a, a middle infielder long term. I think uh, you know all of a sudden the Reds are in a position uh, really deep at shortstop with Cozart, I think is 26, and then Bavarius, and then um, uh, Billy Hamilton. you got three guys there that are, you know, your top, I think, uh, six in, in, in prospects. So that's, that's, that's a pretty good setup right there. One of the things that's, that's discussed a lot on, on our blog, John, is, is – the, the relationship between Dusty Baker and Walt Jockety and whether they're on the same, how much they're on the same page or, and how much influence Dusty has on front office moves and how much influence Walt has on field moves. You know, and, and the thing that really has brought it to the forefront recently is Jockety has said all offseason that Chapman was going to be a starter. But Baker, in almost every comment, talks about him being an option to replace Bill Bray in the bullpen. And now it looks like, you know, because of the Madsen situation, he may end up there. Do you get any kind of feeling that there's that they're not on the same page? Well, yeah, I don't think they're on the same page with everything. You know, I think the one thing you got to look at, Dusty Baker's got one year. He, this is his last year of his contract. Right. He 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 knows pretty much he has to win now. Now, there's uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that Rollins Chapman on the roster helps him win more now than it does him starting the year in AAA, but. That's that's Walt's call. I think people are often confused because the, the the roster is Walt's call. You know, Dusty Dusty has influence on it. He can you know he and the coaches and you know particularly with pitching Brian Price. You know they can make the pitch. They can talk about it. But the final call and all that is the roster moves are are uh, Walt jockeys. Um, as far as you know positions on the field. Or, you know, decisions on the field, that's completely Dusty. There's a, there's a good separation there. Now, now, if Dusty wasn't a veteran manager and, uh, he, he, you know, knows that if he gets fired here, he's going to get another job, it might be a little different that, you know, the, the general manager might have a little more influence on him. But, you know, he makes the it's, – it's, 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 a, it's a separated thing. And, uh, you know, every GM and every manager have um, – you know, disagreements. They're not all going to agree on everything. They, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, they're going to butt heads on, on a few things. And I, I think that's a good thing. You don't want a guy who's, yeah, you know, yes, boss, whatever whatever you think. So, you know, I, but I, I don't think it's, it's a conflict to the point where, uh, you know, if, if Walt Jockety wanted Dusty out, he, you know, he, he probably could have, he could force that move. But I, I don't think, I don't think it's anything close to that. Yeah, and you you wonder about, and this is off kind of on a tangent, but this is more on the Dusty Baker situation. David Bell being moved in in place of Rick Sweet in Louisville and Jim Riggleman in, in, in uh, Pensacola. You have to wonder whether Dusty's looking over his shoulder. You know what I mean? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think he's looking over his shoulder and that he's a, you know, a very confident guy. I think, yeah, I think those moves are, you know, something the Reds, kind of had a backstop themselves because, you know, the manager's in the last year of his contract. And I think there's a chance that, you know, Dusty would be offered back here and decide that he doesn't want to do it. Um, you know, his home is in California. He's got a son who's, uh, you know, a, a teenager.
teenager now, and, and he may decide that he, he wants to step aside or do whatever. So you you got to have someone in the hopper ready to go when, when your manager's in the last year. And I think the, the other thing that kind of forced their hand was, uh, you know, David Bell was hearing from other clubs. Uh, he's, you know, he hasn't had a great record at, at at double A or he didn't have a great record at double A, but you know, from people I talked to, he's he's a guy that people see as a future major league manager. And I think the Reds, you know, wanted to get him that, that one step away at triple A. Because you're dealing with more um like major league type guys or, you know, a lot of guys who had major league experience. There's less emphasis on development and, and you know managing a game more like you do in the major leagues. John, I want to. We wanted to ask you some things about about your job and covering the Reds. Can Can you tell us? Can you compare dealing with Dusty and Walt to previous managers and GMs in terms of dealing with them as as member of the media and access and useful information and that kind of thing? Well, I, I think overall, Dusty maybe he's the best manager I've ever dealt with, and he's probably one of the best in the game just because he understands what you're doing, and you know we have to write a ton. You know, um, I write, you know, three stories every day pretty much or, you know, a notebook and that kind of thing. And when you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer that turns into quotes that pushes your story along. He's also uh, just a, he's overall a very nice guy. He treats everyone. Uh, he rarely snaps. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't talk down to you. He's, he, he learns people's names. He remembers people. And he just... He's just a, a, a great guy to deal with, and um, you know he, he's honest. Uh, uh, so he, you know he, he's great to deal with. Um, the thing with Walt, you know, obviously he doesn't tell us a lot. You know, he's not gonna. Uh, he, he he doesn't want things to get out before he's ready to announce them. Um, but in the off season, he returns my call every time, which is, is something that, that is just huge because it, you need to be able to get to. Uh, the general manager to, to, to get, uh, you know, wh- what's happening with the club. Uh, you know, I don't think Walt loves dealing with the media, but, you know, he, he sees it as part of the job and he's, uh, he's fair with it. Um, you know, I think he hates the, the age of uh, social media where things, agents tend to leak things with contracts on, on, on social media. You know, the, the national guy, he, he, he doesn't like that and he, he wishes it didn't happen, but, you know, it's the world we live in. Uh, you know, Twitter has become a huge part of of uh, baseball media. It's it's where you know when when I when they told us today that Matson was having uh, the surgery, I walked out of Dusty Baker's office, walked to my computer, and put it on Twitter. You know, and, it, and the way that happened, the way that works, that just explodes. So it's, it's all over the place. But that's the way it works in this uh, age of social media. John, you mentioned using your Twitter account. You use your blog and your Twitter a lot, and you answer a lot of questions that are sent to you via Twitter, and thanks for doing that, uh, speaking as a fan. But tell us how that, that social media-type input has changed your job and how it changed what the Enquirer expects you to do. Well, you know, for instance, when I, when I started, even on the red beat, you know, when we got that news, that, that, would, not have gone in, that would have gone into print tomorrow morning. Like I, I, I said, literally probably within two minutes of, uh, of hearing that news, not hearing it because we sat and interviewed Walt and Dusty about it a little bit, you know, that was out on Twitter, you know, and, and it's, it's just like it, what, what it's become is that with the Internet and Twitter, it's become a 
you know, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job where, you know, if something happens, you just have to get it there immediately. And, and, and that's changed. I think uh, the other thing it, it's done from a fan standpoint is, that, you know, they've got, a, they've got a direct line to me, you know, um, uh, 15 years ago, you could write me a letter, and I, I may get it, or you could, you know, leave me a voicemail or something like that. And but now, you know, you can you can fire up Twitter, ask me a question, and chances are, you know, I'll answer. I answer a ton of them, uh, you know. And and uh, people are going to get the news constantly. They're going back and forth to the the blog and Twitter and everything else. Uh, and it's it, the one thing that's really hammered home to me is the popularity of, of the Reds and, and sports in general. Uh, my blog, and I haven't seen the, the numbers this year, but last year, it got more page views than, than the other blogs at the paper all combined. You know, it was like it was seven or eight million page views. And, you know, when, when they're going hot and heavy, a million page views a month. So, you know, it, it's, it's a big deal. And it, I think, uh, you know, I, I've embraced it. You know, I'm an older guy, but I, you, you got to realize that, you know, it's, it's not all about the print anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, most young people, uh, most people under 25 aren't ever going to pick up a newspaper. So, you, But they will go on the computer and look at our website or they'll go on Twitter. So it's just another avenue that's changed drastically. You know, um, the, uh, the national outlets have, have all got big websites and um, hired away a lot of people. So it's, 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 it's just changed the way baseball is reported. John, without, without giving us any specifics, are there other sources that you use that you find productive, the assistant GMs, trainers, scouts, coaches, that kind of thing, to give you input to, that, that maybe aren't attributed? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk to everyone in the organization. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty tight ship here, I'll be honest with you. You know, uh, Walt doesn't want things getting out, but, you know, just little things on background and, and uh, you know, knowing things about uh, – about players, it, it just it, you know, the one thing I think uh, writers and broadcasters don't have is the eyes of a scout or a, a front office guy. You know, I, I, I had trouble telling a you know a, a slider from a split finger and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, to talk to these people to the to the uh, the front office people that are around it, it's, it's a great uh, uh, resource just just to know some things about about guys and. Uh, you know, it, it, it helps educate you in the game and, and get a little bit of insight into to, to why they're doing things. John, one of the difficult, maybe the most difficult thing I would think for your job is is you're 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 having to balance your need for access to players that you write about with at times having to be critical of their performance or or you know the way they perform on the field that kind of thing. How do you balance that? Uh, it, you know, I think in, in baseball. Um, you know, you're dealing with adults, you're dealing with professional athletes, guys have been covered their entire life, and, and they're not, you know, if I write something about Scott Rowland making an error, his mom isn't going to call me up and yell at me. You know? <laughs> you're, you're dealing with high school kids, that happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the players, I, I tell you what, the, the thing that, that would amaze most fans is how little players pay attention to baseball and, and what's reported. Um, it's, you know, these guys, it's a job for them. They play the game. Very few of them seem, to me at least, to follow it extremely closely. You know, as closely as I do, certainly. You know, they, they, uh, um, and, and, 
you know, it's, it, I, I think the one thing you have to do is, is separate criticizing the performance from criticizing a person. You know, you can you can say a guy made a bad play, but it, 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 you know, if you get personal or take gratuitous shots at guys, that, that's the kind of stuff that ends up ticking people off. It's not. It's not when, you know, when a guy makes an error, he knows he made an error. You know, he's fine if you raving about it or if he's, uh, if he's in a bad streak at the plate. You know, that, that's fine. But I, I think, you know, if you take shots or just gratuitous shots, like I said, you know, it, it gets back to them. And uh, you, you have to understand this is their livelihood. And, you know, you got you to feel for these guys in a, in a way. That, that's the thing, you know, I think of today is, is Ryan Madsen. The guy's devastating. You know, this, this is a year, year and a half of his life uh, taken away from him right, right in his prime. So, it's, you know, it's, you, know, you, you got to have some empathy for these guys. Yeah, I would think that that if you talk about like you were you were saying, you know, makes an error, strikes out, you know, a strikeout or in a clutch situation something like that, that would be easier for somebody to take than than if you question an effort, um, and and maybe not so much in print, but you know the radio guys, the TV guys, I I think they more more of a propensity, and and Marty is is you know can be very critical at times. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think when a, when a guy doesn't hustle, yeah, you, you have to point it out, and it's gotten me in trouble. I mean, not in trouble, but it's, it's strained my relationship yeah. with, uh, you know, Phillips. You know, that was a big deal a few years ago, but, um, you know, that that's something you really owe to your readers and, and, and people to point out. I, I think, uh, yeah, the thing that I'm, I'm hesitant to do um, immediately is, is, is cast judgment. A lot of times, you know, you don't know what happened. You don't know why the guy's running, or you know, um, mm-hmm. you know. I, I tend to rely on what the manager says and uh, just say, "Oh, he, he's not running." The guy may have a, a sore hamstring and is playing with it, and they won't tell you that. So, you know, it's uh, you, 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 you draw. There's a fine line there, but I, I think you, you owe it to people to try to do it. And the other thing that with with with, uh, with covering it like I do and I'm doing so many things during the game, a lot of times, you know, I, I'll miss an initial play because I got my head down or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think the TV has the advantage of a, the advantage of a replay and they look at it. And, you know, so it's uh, it's something you, you got to pay attention to. And, you know, I, I really, I'm, I'm careful with uh, making judgments just on, on what I see before I, I talk to people. John, do you do you read any of the, the the blogs like ours or the other fan blogs to and, and you know to find out what the fans are, are looking at or talking about or interested in or anything like that? I don't very often because of Twitter. I mean, if, right. some, if something's on any blog, people from Twitter are going to tell me about it, and then I may go look at it. I, I look at them uh, time to time, but um, you know, I, I, Twitter is my connection, and and it, it, the thing that the advantage of Twitter is that if, uh, you know, anything gets out there, it gets back to me. Um, and, you know, the, the thing, you know, I think the blogs are great, and I think uh, chat rooms or, you know, uh, forums are, are great and everything. But, but what happens a lot of times with, with them is people mistake um, speculation for rumors. You know, there was a thing about Phillips in, uh, in, in the Phillies. Yep, Hamels. Uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, as far as I can tell, there was nothing to that. I think a guy in, in had a New Jersey paper wrote about it. And people, uh, fans and people on Twitter, they don't make the distinction between 
someone saying, uh, reporting something, whereas someone's just, you know, basically spitballing it. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I, one of the fun things I do is if, if somebody says, did you hear this rumor, to kind of go back and try to trace where that rumor came from. And often it is. It's just some two fans on, you right. know, a, a forum saying, hey, what if this trade? Yeah. And then some other some other fan sees it says, "Well, I heard the Reds are going to do this," and it's like, you know, it, it's it's. It, I, I tell you, it, it, at times it's very frustrating. You know? I, I, but, I, I imagine it is. Though, though I will say, I did read that that article from New Jersey, and he claimed that there had been discussions between the Reds and the Phillies. Now I'm, you know, I'm not saying they're true or anything yeah. like that, but that, that's what that came from. I think that's why it seemed to. Develop more momentum than it probably deserved. Well, I think you know discussions uh, are, are are one you know one thing. I mean, it, and that could be true. And when you know the Reds have about you know I don't know a dozen front office people and cat you know yeah hundred scouts. So maybe one of them said, hey, you know, the Phillies are probably willing to give up Hamels because they they need infield help. And that discussion, you know, I don't think I don't think it got the Walt Jockey in, in the Phil's GM. Let, let me just put it that way. And it's you know, the, the thing about it to me was if you look at it on face, yeah, Hamill would be a great pitcher to pick up, but the Reds really don't need a starter at this point. And uh, you know, right now you take Phillips out of the lineup, you don't have a leadoff guy, and you're, you're talking about Willie Harris or Chris Lake at, at second base right now, and you know. Find players, but it's, it's going to be a huge drop off. So I think for this year that Phillips would probably be more valuable to the Reds than, than Hamels. Um, but you know, again, I, I don't think they ever came to anything. Getting back to the Reds real quick before I let you go here, tell me what your impressions are of, of Matt Lato so, uh, so thus far. He looked great. I mean, uh, I went down one of his outings, his actual, his worst outing when he gave up the two run home. I, I sat down. You know, in the second row and watched him. He's a he's an intimidating guy. You know, he's six six, and uh, you know they, they talk about throwing downhill. Well, he does, and uh, you know throws pretty hard. And he just had a he did a great spring. Uh, the one walk, nine strikeouts. You know, I I I've said to a lot of people, I thought if, if you would have told me in 2010 that the Reds were going to be able to trade from that late, I would say you're crazy. Because if you look at some of his numbers. From that year, and then even last year in September, I think he was five and one or four and one with a, an ERA of under two. This, you know, this guy can be the real deal. I think he, you know, he's not an ace now, but he has the potential to be an ace. And he's, you know, he's 24 years old, so uh, I, I, I think that deal is going to look pretty good. Although, you know, they, they gave up a lot to do it. And speaking of Twitter, his wife is quite a Twitterer, also. Yes, she is. <laughs> She's she's quite a character on Twitter. Yeah, you know I haven't met her, but I've heard she's uh, pretty soft spoken and uh, very nice in, in, in person. But yeah, she uh, she likes the Twitter. She's kind of taken over uh, for Brandon Phillips as the most prolific Twitterer uh, among the Reds people. There you go. Last qu- couple questions, John. Uh, spring training, Sarasota or Goodyear? I would say Goodyear. Um, I, you know, I, I would never have thought I would say that, but it's just so convenient. You know, yesterday we had a road game at uh, at Peoria. You know, it's a 15-minute drive, if that. Uh, the complex are so much closer. I like the weather better out here. You know, it's cool in the mornings, and uh, you don't have the humidity 
to deal with. And yeah, there's there's two and a half to two hour drives to Fort Myers, you know, six times a spring just make the days long for everyone, you know, media players and everybody else. So I, I just think it's uh you know, with the, the proximity of all the parks, it's just so much easier work wise out here. And I I've gotten out a little more uh you know, explored some and uh I know you missed the daiquiri deck, though, John. I'm more of a Captain Kurtz guy myself, but I know you missed the daiquiri deck. Yeah, I do. Well, that, that was that was the one thing I liked about when I, where I was in Sarasota. I, I stayed on Siesta Key, and I could walk to places. and didn't yeah. have to get in the car once I got there. Don't have that here. Um, I'm looking at moving into a different place next year that maybe, maybe it'll be a little better in that regard. John, let me ask you one more question. Uh, who? What's the biggest key for the Reds' success this year? I think the starting pitching. They were 13th last year in the National League in starting pitching. I think if uh, you know, in in late I think will be good. That was a that was a very positive move. I think you know I mentioned Arroyo earlier. I think he has to get back. I don't think he has to go 17 and nine, but he can't go nine and 12 or whatever he was and have a over five ERA. I think Homer Bailey and Johnny Cueto, if they're healthy, that's a huge deal. I, I, I can't remember right off my head or top of my head right now, but I think in the starts they didn't make, uh, the guys outside the, the five, I think the Reds were like uh, three and or, or four and 16 or something ridiculous like that. You know, and when Cueto and, and Bailey started, they were well over 500. So, you know, that that's the key. If those guys can stay healthy, I think this team will score enough runs. I think Scott Rowland's very healthy this this spring. I think he can have a good year, but um, you know, you just can't have uh, uh, pitchers going out there and giving up four or five runs in five innings, and then that, that puts pressure on your bullpen. And you know, the the, the bullpen that was good for the most part last year, but you know, they've improved it some. Even with Matson out, I think they they can be as good. But if those guys are called on to pitch four innings every night. Guys get tired, and uh, you know. Jose Arredondo and Logan Andrusi both had pretty good years last year, but they both spent time on the, on the DL, and I think part of that was that, that they got used a lot. So, you know, I think everything starts with starting pitching, and I think if, if it's better, I think these guys are probably the favorite to, to win the National League Central, even without Matt. And I think, uh, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got a good lineup. I think, uh, uh, you know, I think Jay Bruce will put up better numbers this year, uh, although, you know, throw in. 97 runs, they had 31 home runs last year, so that's not really an off year. Um, you know, Vado's going to be Vado, and, you know, Phillips had a really good year. I think Stubbs will bounce back some. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they get out of left field, and, you know, I think just overall the lineup's good enough to win. It's just a matter of last year, the starting pitching, when you're, you're 13th in the league, it's hard to compete with the, with the Cardinals and, and, the, and the Brewers, who have, have pretty solid starting pitching, so I really think that's the key. Yeah, the other thing I hope is that people are patient with the young guys, especially Cozart and Mazzaracco, because there's going to be times that they're going to struggle, and fans aren't the most patient people in the world at times. Well, I think that Cozart should kind of try to cool off before he leaves here. He's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I, I think he was one for three last night. We came in nine for 12 with, uh, you know, a couple, you know, four, five, six doubles. So, he looked good. Mesoraco had a couple of doubles last night. I think, you know, if Mesoraco hits 240, I think he'll be happy with it because he'll hit some home runs. And he's, uh, 
you know, as far as a catcher, he, he's a really smart kid. He really wants to be good at that and calling games. And, uh, you know, I think he will be. And he looked really good throwing the ball. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, those guys are going to have, have their struggles here and there. But I think uh, unless the scouts are really wrong, these guys both are, are, are solid major leaders. Well, John, that's all we've got today. And I, again, as always, I want to thank you very much for giving us some of your time. And hopefully, maybe we can catch up sometime during the season. All right, no problem. Thanks, John. Take care.